Well, I'm glad you're here even on the fourth. Uh, I feel like that means you're really into this Jesus stuff if you come here on 4th of July because it <laughs> means you got to delay like, you know, getting the barbecue ready and eating hamburger. You got to delay blowing stuff up for another hour. So very glad you're here. Uh, I'll tell you who got a jump on blowing stuff up. It was my entire neighborhood last night <laughs> from like nine to one. So if you're short on sleep, I feel you. Um, hey, very glad you're here. I actually want to jump immediately into this. We have a lot to cover today because this is a brand new series. Um, so I just want to get started. And I want to start by explaining what this post-Christian Jesus series is all about. Because I know that you're sitting in here, you're watching online, and you see post-Christian Jesus up there. And some of you are going like, I don't know if I feel comfortable with this. Right? Are you saying that Jesus isn't a Christian anymore? It's like, no, that's ridiculous. That statement doesn't even make sense. Um, we're not saying that, but some of you are going, well, then why did you give Jesus tattoos and an Apple watch? And again, it's like, no, that's Adam, all right, from Michelangelo's super famous painting in the Sistine Chapel called The Creation of Adam. Uh, let's zoom out on it. Maybe you can recognize it. That's the one. I don't care what they say. We still got class here. <laughs> so, th so that's not what I'm talking about. So what am I talking about? What is this post-Christian Jesus series all about? And in short, what the series is all about is the fact that here at Flatirons, we still believe that Jesus is the one true way in life. He's the only way. We still think that Jesus is still like culturally pitch perfect, even though we're living in America, a culture that is becoming increasingly more post-Christian by definition. All right, what does post-Christian mean? Well, I'll explain it to you. I'll explain what a post-Christian society is. But before I do that, I got to give you two disclaimers, all right, so that we're just kind of all on the same page. The first disclaimer is this. As I explain what post-Christian means, don't become angry Christians, okay? Don't do it. Here's what I mean. The, the last thing that I want to do in this series is get all the Christians in the room or watching online to get angry and create some sort of like us versus them, Christians versus the culture mentality. That's not what we're trying to do. Instead, what we're trying to do is create a little compassion for all of the people, ourselves included, who are living in kind of a backwards, lost, and broken culture. And every single week, we want to walk out of here asking ourselves like, how can I follow Jesus better? And how can I do a better job of introducing other people to the awesome life that he offers? How can I do that within the current culture that I'm living in? So don't become angry Christians. The, the second disclaimer is this. We're not about to go doomsday prophet up in here. I promise you. Okay, we're just not. Uh, as I explain what post-Christian society looks like, some of us are tempted to go fatalistic and go like, well, is Christianity gonna disappear forever? The answer is no. All right, Christianity is running for 2,000 years strong. It survived the Roman persecution. It's currently thriving in Africa and, and places like China and the Middle East where Christianity is technically illegal. It's not going anywhere. And that's because we believe that Jesus secured and paid for victory for us and for the world. And so sometimes our culture is backwards and it can be confusing, but Jesus isn't going anywhere and neither are his people, neither is his church. 
which means throughout this series and throughout today, we can all be resting on this promise that Jesus gave us. He said this, he goes, in this world, you're just gonna have trouble, but you can take heart because I've overcome the world. I have figured this out, all right? I see victory. So, so don't get angry and then don't go doomsday prophet on me, all right? With that being said, what is a post-Christian society? And, and here's our definition of a post-Christian society is one that largely rejects Christian values and no longer considers Christianity to be the basis, like the foundation for its ethics or its culture. And many cultural historians and social scientists, both Christian and not Christian, all agree that either America is already a post-Christian society, or at the very least, we're right on the brink of becoming one. And honestly, when you look around at America, it's hard to disagree with them. Here are some of the traits of like a post-Christian society that I see in the world, all right, in America. Uh, probably the one that a lot of our minds kind of jumps to immediately is, is that Christianity as a faith is like outright ridiculed often, like it's made fun of. You, you see this a lot from celebrities and like late night talk show hosts and different types of artists who also, by the way, all claim to be admiringly tolerant, <laughs> but you see that from them. So maybe our minds jumps to that and, and that happens sometimes. But more often, I think our culture views Jesus as just kind of irrelevant, just kind of irrelevant. Like why would you waste your time on that old, outdated, like religious myth stuff? That's the look that I get from people. Whenever I claim that like, for example, that Jesus said it's a better life to only sleep with one person, like the person that you're married to and I agree with them. I just get blank stares from my friends. Like, you born in colonial times? Like, what's wrong with you? So people view it as irrelevant. This leads to people being quiet about their faith, like especially when it comes to faith in Jesus. Like, that's a cultural taboo to talk about. Like, imagine this. Can you even imagine, like, a celebrity, like, at an award show? Someone like a Leonardo DiCaprio, like, accepting an award and then just saying, like, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died and came back to life on a literal day 2,000 years ago, and I worship him and I follow him. The room would just be crickets, right? People would be like, oh, poor Leo. He lost his mind. I miss Titanic, Leo, you know? It would be career suicide, so we see this in the idea that like Christianity is ridiculed or seemed as irrelevant and people are quiet about faith. We also see it in statistics. In surveys in America, we're seeing an exponential growth in the number of people who when asked what their religious beliefs are, they check the box labeled none. I have no religious beliefs. That number is growing. I think one of the bigger ways that we see this post-Christian society thing play out is we see it in the confusion in our culture as our culture is trying to build like moral beliefs and positions to stand on without using Jesus and the Bible and Christianity. For example, in 2005, the Supreme Court decided it's unconstitutional to display the Ten Commandments inside a courthouse, even though our judicial system is largely based on Judeo-Christian ethics. That's confusing. Because the Supreme Court basically, it goes, so here the Supreme Court, which is ultimately based on Christian ethics, decided to use those ethics to say it's unethical to display those ethics in the courthouses that uphold those ethics. It's just confusing. All right, And then we see that moral confusion leak into our own lives. 
And that's why we see this like new cultural movement of people who are very vocal about their beliefs, but they can't really give any moral foundation for them other than, well, because I believe it. And this is why the majority of arguments on social media are really just boiled down to like full grown adults going, yeah, huh, no, uh, yeah, huh, no, uh, because we don't have any agreed upon foundation to build all of our morality on. That's just some of the indicators of living in a post-Christian society. Some of you might be going like, wait a minute, Ben, I thought you said we weren't gonna be angry or doomsday about this, and you're being depressing. Well, I'm not angry or doomsday about it, and here's why. The irony is this, the irony of living in a post-Christian society is that we see lots of people running away from Jesus because they think that will help them run toward other good stuff, stuff like identity and peace and justice and joy. But the irony is that you can't find those things outside of Jesus. The irony is that the only way to run toward identity and peace and justice and joy is to run toward Jesus. And so the irony is that even in a post-Christian world, Jesus is still the best answer for all of humanity's like deepest needs and desires. That's why I'm not bummed about it. And in fact, sometimes I wonder if our culture is like primed to finally hear with fresh ears again the awesome life that Jesus Christ offers them. And so that's what this series is all about. We're gonna tackle four, four different parts of, of our lives that every human being like needs and desires at the core human level. Identity, peace, justice, and joy. And we're gonna look at how our culture chases after those things. And then we're gonna look at how Jesus says that he offers us those things. And then we're just gonna have to make a choice, which is who are we gonna believe? And so for the rest of our time today, I wanna zoom in on identity, all right? Identity, like who am I? And do I have anything of value to offer the world? These are questions that everybody asks themselves, identity. And and here's the important uh, point about identity is that at the end of the day, you can't find an identity for yourself outside of relationships with other people. It's impossible to form an identity in isolation. This is what our parents told us back when we were in middle school and they were trying to discourage us from hanging out with the kid who's got Jinko jeans and dyed his bowl cut purple and smoked cigarettes or whatever, right? They all said, you become who you hang out with and that's largely true. My family couldn't afford Jinko jeans but I figured out a way to do everything else. (laughs) That's largely true. And so for us to do this identity thing today, we mostly have to talk about the place where most of us find and maintain our relationships these days, which means we have to talk about social media, all right? I have brought up social media in a few talks over the last six months. So I just wanna quickly say, so that everyone can hear me say it, I actually think social media is amazing. I think it's one of the most ingenious human inventions in recent history. I just also think it's a tool, like a hammer, Right? which means when you use it properly, you can build beautiful things with it. But if you use it improperly, you're gonna hurt yourself or someone else. And I think one of the more common ways that we see social media hurting ourselves or hurting other people is when we start to use social media as a substitute for having real, actual, face-to-face relationships with other people. And if we're being honest, most of us have in one way or another definitely done that. 
And that is a brand new phenomenon in human history. Like even 20 years ago, we would have thought it was impossible to create a friendship with someone that maybe you had never even met in your life. And the social media thing is just actually kind of strange if you take the time to think about it. And so I wanna kind of try and help you see why I feel like it's strange sometimes and we have to kind of use our imagination. So let's do this. So for those of you who can remember life before the internet, all right, I want you to imagine a time somewhere before the mid-2000s. That's when the internet and social media exploded. Imagine sometime before that. And let's say you have this person in your life. And let's call this person Bucky, all right? <laughs> I'm really banking on no one being named Bucky in here. <laughs> All right, so you got this person named Bucky, right? You went to school with Bucky back in the day, but you never see him anymore, right? You, you don't have him over for dinner. You don't go out and grab drinks with him. You don't work with him. Maybe like once a year, you'll bu like bump into Bucky in a grocery store, all right? You never see him. At the same time, once a day, Bucky sends you an envelope in the mail. And in the envelope are three to four pictures of the things he did that day. <laughs> You see where I'm going with this? <laughs> so you got a Polaroid picture of a steak dinner, right? And in Sharpie at the bottom, it just says, dinner at Elway's, delicious, okay? You got a picture of him hiking, and it just says, afternoon hike, can't believe I live here, right? Sometimes, sometimes you get a VHS tape in the mail, <laughs> right? You put it in your VCR player, it's just 30 seconds of Bucky, like at a concert, just indiscernible noise. And in the background, you just hear Bucky going like, woo, I love you, Dave Matthews, or whoever was popular at the time. All right, remember, you never actually hang out with Bucky, ever. But he sends you these packages in the mail every single day. Not only do you look at them, but there's kind of this expectation that you gotta write something on the back of every single photo and then return the package to him. <laughs> All right, so you gotta write on the back of the photo, like, dinner looks amazing. And then you gotta put a little sticky note on the VHS tape. You gotta come up with something witty, right? So you gotta be like, oh, so jealous of the concert. I wish Dave Matthews would crash into me or whatever. <laughs> it's your only Dave Matthews joke today. <laughs> so you gotta write these little notes on the thing and then you gotta put all of this media that Bucky sent you, and you gotta mail it back to him so that he can read all of it. And there's all this social pressure to do it because if you know that if you don't acknowledge and approve of Bucky's life that day, there's a chance that Bucky's feelings will get hurt. And so you're spending like 30 solid minutes every single day reviewing all of Bucky's media and writing encouraging notes and telling him how amazing he is even though you don't believe it at all. And then you've gotta send the media back to Bucky. Now, before the mid-2000s, if you had a person like Bucky in your life, you would never in a million years call that a relationship. You definitely wouldn't call it a friendship, never. In fact, chances are you probably would have thought that Bucky was a narcissistic, self-involved loner who had like an unhealthy need to be complimented all of the time. But here we are, just 17 years out from the birth of Facebook and the social media boom, and none of us even blink an eye at spending hours a day doing essentially the same thing on Instagram, and we call them friendships. 
and I'm not trying to damn the whole thing, and, and, and I'm not trying to make anybody feel stupid. I'm just trying to point out how much our idea of a friendship has changed in the last two decades. And this massive change in, in how we find and maintain friendships, it's come with a massive change in how we find and maintain our identities. What I mean by that is this, before social media, like it really took time and intentionality and, and it took like commitment to form a very real friendship. You had to get to know the other person. More terrifying than that, you actually had to let them really get to know you. It took honesty and vulnerability, which took trust and it took courage. But if you really went for it, at the end of the day, you had a friendship and you just had this other person that you could go crash on the couch with them. And it was fine if you looked like a dumpster fire that day, right? And you just kind of hang around and burp and not really do anything particular together on the couch. And you didn't care because you were friends. You just wanted to be in the presence of one another. But it didn't happen overnight. It took time. Basically, back, back in the day, the, the idea of an overnight friendship didn't exist. You, can't, you couldn't do what you can do today, which is bump into someone at Starbucks and talk to them for 10 minutes. Like back in the day, if you were to meet someone and then go, hold on one second, let me friend you. You'd look crazy. <laughs> Worse if you were to like, hey, before you leave, let me follow you. <laughs> they'd, call the, they'd call the cops on you, all right? But now, the majority of our relationships are found and maintained through social media. And social media is just that. It's media. It's entertainment. That's what it is at the end of the day. It's designed to be consumed by other people, by viewers. And just like any other avenue of entertainment, it comes with a review system, likes, dislikes, comments. And so the vulnerability and honesty and, and trust building that's required in real friendship, it's almost impossible on social media. Why? Because you are expected to be entertaining. And we don't want our entertainers to be vulnerable or real with us. For example, you will never find Brad Pitt on the red carpet and some interviewer going like, how you feeling tonight, Brad? You're never gonna see Brad take the mic and go, well, actually, Karen, I'm feeling very sad. Just not gonna happen. I'm existentially empty. <laughs> like, you're not gonna hear that. You're not gonna hear him go like, and on top of that, I have severe, I am telling you, severe gastrointestinal issues tonight. <laughs> it's not gonna happen. You're gonna see perfection. You're gonna see a 10 out of 10 woman on his arm. He's gonna be wearing a $100,000 suit and sporting a million dollar smile because he is a media star. We don't want him to be vulnerable and real with us. We just want him to look good and entertain us. And if we're not careful with our own social media, we end up becoming celebrities in our own lives. And our friends just end up becoming viewers and our lives just end up becoming entertainment and our entire identities get wrapped up in the reviews, the likes and the comments and the shares. And what all of this leads to, if we're not incredibly careful, is what we're seeing in our culture, which is a heartbreaking epidemic of loneliness and isolation in America. We know we find our identities through relationship. It's just that we were told we could find relationship on social media. It's just that it's not really working. And so we feel lonely and insecure because it is impossible for you to keep up a five-star review of your life day in and day out. And then we feel isolated because it's becoming harder and harder to just hang out with people in real life. 
And that's because when you're face to face with someone, you can't edit every single word you say like you can in a post. You're gonna say something dumb, right? And face to face with someone, you can't airbrush your life. You just can't. So there's gonna be a time where you're hanging out with your friends and you get cilantro stuck in your teeth and no one's gonna tell you. It's just gonna happen. And it makes us anxious. And so we isolate. And ultimately, the result over time is that you begin to lose your identity. And that's because you have two lives. The one that you post and then your real life. And the real life is something that no one really knows about you. And so the result is that you also don't know who you are. And even though there's pictures of you and pictures of your friends on the internet constantly every day, at the end of the day, you feel completely unknown, which is an incredibly lonely place to be. And everything looks great on the outside, like you've got it all together. But on the inside, you're rotting away. Jesus called this fake double life, this like mask wearing life. He called it out for what it is. He actually gave a name to it. He said that a person like that, wearing the mask and living a double life, is a whitewashed tomb. A whitewashed tomb. Jesus actually said this when he was talking to a group of people called Pharisees. Right, Pharisees were like Jewish religious experts of their day. This is all in Matthew 23, so you can go read that later if you'd like. But Jesus is actually lighting these guys up. And it's because the Pharisees had become convinced that following God could really just be boiled down to outward appearances and rule following. And Jesus' problem with these guys wasn't that they were trying to follow God's rules for a better life. That's great. Instead, Jesus' problem was that they believed that looking perfect on the outside, like they have it all together, was a good substitute for giving God all of your heart and your soul in your mind. And so what the Pharisees did was they took these like darker, more broken parts of their lives and they hid those parts of themselves away. And instead they put all this attention into their outward appearance. They wanted to make sure that anytime you played the comparison game, they came across looking like they had a better life. And Jesus said that that kind of life is a whitewashed tomb. It looks beautiful at first glance until you realize you're standing in a graveyard and that there's no real life here. Jesus said it like this. He goes, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs. You look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, you're full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, like you've got it all together, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. And I think the parallel to what I'm talking about right now is easy to see. In fact, we could change some of the language in, in that verse from Jesus to kind of make it fit to our modern culture right now. We could say this, woe to you, your lives are Photoshopped social media posts. Right? You look beautiful on the outside. On the inside, you're rotting away. On the outside, you appear to have an amazing life like you've got everything together. But on the inside, you're full of insecurity and fear and loneliness. Our Instagram account is filled with snapshots of perfection. We look great, our lives look exciting, we always have something poignant to say about the news or whatever. On the outside looking in, we look perfect, but we know, we know that it's a fake representation of our lives. We know that we're wearing a mask. And we know that behind the mask, 
behind the social media posts, or at this point, we can, we can expand this example to anything that we use to earn approval from other people. So behind the social media posts or behind like the attempts to be valedictorian or get the promotion and behind our PhD diplomas hanging on the wall in our offices and behind your record sales numbers year in and year out and behind the perfect spouse and three kids in upscale suburb, behind all of the stuff that we have used to prove our worth to the world around us, we know the truth. And the truth is that we don't really know who we are anymore and we feel lost and confused and lonely and terrified, and we feel like we have no one to share that with, and so we're slowly rotting away inside. What is the cure for this identity crisis? Like, what is the antidote for the loneliness and isolation that comes with constantly trying to prove our worth to other people? Well, thankfully, Jesus didn't just point out the bad news. He also gave us a better way to find our identity. This is actually one of the core pieces of Jesus's message that he offers the world. Remember, identity comes in the context of of relationship, and Jesus claimed to connect us to the most important relationship we could ever have in this life. And Jesus said that he was the only one who could do that for us. He says it like this. He goes, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father, God, except through me. Jesus said when we put our faith in him, we get access to the most important relationship of all time. We get to have a relationship with God himself. And not only do we get to have a relationship with him, but we get to call God our father. And so Jesus is saying, put your faith in me. If you do, God becomes your father. And then like a good father, he will shape and mold a new and better identity for you. He's gonna tell you who you are. See, according to Jesus, a few things happen to you when you put your faith in him. First thing that happens is this, your old identity gets erased. In 1 Corinthians, a guy named Paul, he, he talks about this. He drives this point home. What he did, does is he rattles off a list of the awful kinds of things that we say about ourselves, like, like the, the false identities that we buy into. Paul gives us a list of the names that we call ourselves, and then after that, he says, that is what some of you were, You used to be that, right? But you're not anymore. You were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Meaning whatever name calling you do to yourself when you look at yourself in the mirror, whatever derogatory terms that you use to label yourself when you call yourself like loser or loner or addict, abused, broke, washed up, just unsuccessful, jealous, selfish, unwanted, unlovable, God says, nope, you don't get to call yourself that anymore. God says, only I get to tell you who you are and hand you an identity, and you might feel like that sometimes, but those names have been washed away thanks to Jesus your old identity is erased. On top of that, we also get a new identity. Look at this, this is in John 1. We're told that yet to all who receive him, Jesus, to those who believed in Jesus's name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. So you aren't the names you call yourself when you're disappointed in yourself. 
because you didn't get the promotion or you didn't get the scholarship or make the varsity team or you're still single even though you don't wanna be. You're not those names you call yourself. Instead, you are a son or a daughter of the living God. Your son or daughter of the living God, when you put your faith in Jesus, not only is your old identity erased, but you also get a new identity. And then on top of all of that, and this is probably the most important point for what we're talking about today, but on top of all of that, you don't have to earn this new identity. Jesus earned it for you. Paul says it like this in Ephesians, one of my top 10 favorite verses. He goes, it's by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. You didn't do this yourself. It is a gift from God. It's not by works, something you did to earn it. It's not by works so that no one can boast about it. This new identity of yours and of mine, being sons and daughters of the living God, is not something we have to earn, meaning like you don't have to constantly seek the approval of God. Jesus earned this identity for you and he purchased that approval for you. When you put your faith in Jesus, your old identity is erased, you get a new identity and you don't have to earn that new identity. Jesus earned it for you, which is nothing but good news for those of us living in a post-Christian society because we live in a world where we are all exhausting ourselves by constantly trying to earn the approval of others. This approval could come in the form of a, a, a clap on the back and an attaboy and a year-end bonus check from your boss. This approval could come through athletic or an academic achievement. The approval could come from your parents or you're looking for approval from your kids or you're looking for approval through likes and comments and shares on Instagram. But we're out here and we're trying to work, work, work and pretend, pretend, pretend in order to earn, earn, earn the approval of other people. And we're striving for like perceived perfection. We just wanna look like we've got it all together, physically, socially, in our careers, wherever. We just want to be loved and accepted, and we're trying to earn that love and acceptance by coming across like we're perfect. But in reality, we are rotting away inside. We are whitewashed tombs, and it's exhausting. And meanwhile, for 2,000 years and counting, Jesus has been standing here going, hey, listen, I was perfect so that you don't have to be perfect. And I put to death all of your sin, all of like the ugly, broken parts of your life so that you don't have to hide it anymore. And I earned a new and better identity for you so that you don't have to exhaust yourself by trying to earn it all on your own. I was perfect so you don't have to be. Everything that we're dying for, like everything our post-Christian society is yearning for and desiring and trying to wring out of social media and outward appearances and money and power and success, it is all ultimately, totally, finally, and only found in Jesus Christ. So you can stop exhausting yourself and you can take the mask off. See, our, our culture says that identity can be found in outward appearances. But that means you better have a picture-perfect Instagram, all right? You better have a very successful career. You've gotta have money and power and notoriety, and that endless seeking of approval from others is killing you. And then on the other hand, Jesus says, identity can be found in me. And he says that he loves you through and through, and he loves the good and the bad and the ugly parts of yourself. And he, so he says, you can just stop with the never-ending rat race of trying to earn approval. 
So the question is simply, which one of these options sounds more life-giving to you? Culture's strategy for finding an identity or Jesus's? And if you wanna take hold of the good life that Jesus offers, then the challenge is simple to say and difficult to live out. The challenge is take the mask off. Stop hiding behind this version of yourself that you display to the world around you. Listen, God can handle all of you, all of you. Even the messy, broken stuff that you've buried deep down and you try to keep hidden from the world, God can handle all of you and so he wants all of you. Like God refuses to. He simply will not love the fake version of yourself that you're posting because it's not the real you. And so take the mask off and give him everything. And if you wanna try to take the mask off this week, here are, here are two ways that we can try this. All right, the first way is this, take the mask off with God. All right, here's an easy, practical way to do this, all right? You can give it a shot, it's super easy. You wake up every morning, you read John 1, 12 through 13, two quick verses. It's gonna remind you that you aren't the names you call yourself when you look in the mirror. Instead, you are a son or daughter of the living God. And then after that, spend 10 minutes praying and just be real. Don't be fake. What I mean is don't talk to God like you think your pastor thinks God thinks you should talk to him or whatever. Don't sit there and be like, dearest Lord, right? My blessings be if too many to count. Like don't, first of all, you sound like Yoda. And second of all, it's not you. It's just another version of wearing the mask. Just be real with him. Talk to him like you're looking for advice and wisdom and counsel from a good dad. If you were to overhear my personal prayer life, I guarantee some of you would not want me to be your pastor anymore. <laughs> it's true, I lay it all out there. A lot of my prayers, they, they, they sound like psalms that you find in the middle of the Bible. I hand them everything. I hand them my discouragement and my anger and my confusion and my frustration that he's not like fixing me as quickly as I want him to be. I talk to him about the doubts that I have with him. I talk to him about my insecurities and the things I'm terrified of. I just hand him all of me and then I beg him to help me to continue to trust him, which he does. And then I beg him to love me despite my brokenness, which he does. Just be real with him. Like, who are you fooling? <laughs> the God of the universe. Take the mask off with God. And then if you want another risky step to kind of take this identity thing from spiritual re reality into like practical day-to-day -day reality, then you can do this. Take the mask off with others. All right, just find someone you trust and meet with them face-to-face. -face. Texting doesn't count. Social media doesn't count. Don't use this as an excuse to slide into someone's DMs. Like find someone you trust and then ask to meet face-to-face -face with them coffee, lunch, maybe Zoom if they live too far away, and then practice taking the mask off with them. Again, just be real and be honest and be vulnerable with them. If that's freaking you out and you need more ideas around that, you go watch the last three weeks of the series we did called In Your Corner. Listen, Jesus says this. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. In other words, Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary of feeling lost and confused and isolated and lonely, and come to me, all you who are burdened by the never-ending like approval earning. 
Come to me, I'll give you a new identity, and in that new identity, you will find rest for your weary and burdened souls. And I just believe this. If we trust Jesus on this one, and if we choose to, to find our identity in him, instead of in the amount of likes and comments that we've earned, or instead of in the job raise and uh, the pay raise and the job promotion that we earned, or instead of the full ride scholarship that we earned, if we instead choose to allow Jesus to earn our identity for us, he promises we'll find rest. I think we'll find it. We will find rest from the endlessly exhausting attempt to constantly seek the approval of others. And if we trust Jesus on this one, then you and I can live in a post-Christian culture without caving to the isolation and the loneliness that this culture creates. And if we trust Jesus on this one, we can live the good life. And then here's the awesome part. If we live the good life, it means you and I can be a light to the world. Like we can actually walk through the graveyard of a post-Christian culture and walk up to the countless whitewashed tombs, like the countless number of people wearing masks, but then rotting away inside. And we can say to them from experience, wake up, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Wake up, there's a better way. You don't have to rot away inside while you seek perfection. There's a better way. But the truth is we have to practice what we preach. And we can't do that if we're not truly living out of the identity that Jesus Christ gave us. So who are you gonna trust? Culture or Jesus? God, I, I thank you for this room today. I thank you for everyone watching online right now. Uh, anytime we talk about culture, I don't know, we just get nervous and, and we start to get uncomfortable. But God, I just, I believe it, that you are still like the way, the truth, the life. You are pitch perfect on exactly what human beings need, even in our current culture. God, I'm asking you for the wisdom to listen to you and to take what you're saying to heart. God, for any of us who are listening to this and we feel like it hit home, like we've just been endlessly seeking the approval of our bosses or seeking approval through social media, you name it, and we just feel lonely inside. Meanwhile, God, I pray for anyone who feels like that, would you start to comfort them? God, would you give them the rest that you promised for their weary and burdened souls? God, would you give us the confidence and the, and the courage that it takes to approach your throne of grace? God, would you give us the confidence and the courage it takes to take the mask off with you and just be real and be honest with where we're at? And would you give us the confidence and courage it takes to do that with just one other real person so that we can start living out this new identity as your son's and your daughters. God, I'm, I'm again thankful for this room, thankful for this message, and God, I'm thankful for you, and it's in your son's name that I pray. Amen.